Hi, welcome to episode 538 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and I'm ready for the Podcaster Registration Act. Sign me up. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to issue 645. And today, it's Fantastic Four 538 from August 2006. Street Fighting by J. Michael Straczynski and Mike McCone. So last time, Johnny Storm got hit over the head with a bottle, and he wound up in the hospital. Which is odd, because this dude has been hit on the head so many times and knocked out by worse things than a bottle, and he didn't wind up in the hospital. This guy has had more concussions than every quarterback from every NFL team for the last 20 years combined. Reed, Ben, and Sue are visiting Johnny in the hospital, and Johnny says, well, he says nothing because he's still unconscious. I guess that means he's in a coma, but they don't use the C word. The doctor says that when Johnny wakes up, it'll be good to have a friendly face nearby, maybe have some of his favorite music playing, and or maybe I would suggest having a couple of redheaded chicks sitting on his bed. Ben says he'll take the first shift sitting by Johnny's bed, and when he asks Reed, Sue says that he has better things to do with his time. Reed says, not better, Sue, I never said that. We've got a war going on out there. Hero fighting hero. And whose fault is that? Sue asks. Sue and Reed are getting a little snippy with each other as they rehash the events of Civil War. Odd. Here, Sue seems to be not such a fan of the Superhero Registration Act. But over in the actual Civil War miniseries, she seemed rather gung-ho on the idea, extolling the virtues of not having a secret identity and going public. Ben reminds them that if Johnny wakes up, all this negative emotional stuff might not be good for him. Reed is about to leave, and he asks Ben if he wants to help round up some people, meaning apprehend other superheroes who haven't registered. Ben doesn't really answer. He just tells Reed and Sue to get going and to cool off before somebody says something that can't be unsaid. So Reed and Sue leave the room, and they head their separate ways. Left alone with the unconscious Johnny, Ben starts to talk to him, and we hear little snippets of Ben's stories, like finding something weird in his nose at his first birthday party. Oh, I could tell so many stories about finding weird things in my nose. He tells a story about some guy asking his first girlfriend out. I can understand how that guy might, might have made that mistake. He tells a story about a rabbi and uh, his hairless cat. Don't we all have a story like that? He sings and dances to the Village People song, YMCA. I heard he auditioned for, but didn't get the Bruce Jenner part in Can't Stop the Music, by the way. And then he gets more serious and starts talking about events in Oklahoma, how Thor's hammer landed in Oklahoma, and it's just sitting there in a small crater, and people have been coming by in droves, trying to lift the hammer, and everyone fails. So Sue appears, and she's got Johnny's iPod. Ben asks how long she's been standing there, invisible, and she says about an hour. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if she was pro-registration act. This woman does not believe in privacy. Ben's been spilling his guts to an unconscious Johnny, and Sue's listening to every word. She was probably hoping that Ben would tell some of his old stories about he and Reed from back when they were quote-unquote college roommates. She says to Ben, 
before you go, one thing about what Reed and I were discussing. We're not going to get into a fight, are we? Ben interjects. Sue replies, no, Ben, we're not. She says she doesn't think that Reed should be going after people who don't register, but she doesn't know what to do about it. She says she has some thinking to do. Oh, you have some thinking to do, Sue. Ben tells her not to worry about it tonight. Just concentrate on Johnny. It's interesting. I've never read these issues of the FF before, but I have read Civil War, and I remember Reed Richards being very gung-ho, a very gung-ho participant in the actions of Civil War, but I don't recall what Ben, Sue, and Johnny were doing. It seems like they spent most of their time out of action in this hospital room. So on his way out, Ben passes a TV which is reporting on a big superhero battle that has been going on for several hours, decimating several square blocks, and sending some heroes and some civilians to the hospital. Sounds like another case where the movie Civil War got it right. They had the heroes fight in an evacuated airport, not in the middle of a busy city where someone's going to get hurt. The reporter goes on to say that the police can't do much about the superheroes, but there are riots and protests going on as well, and the police plan to deal with them. Yes, those protesters should be dealt with, and harshly. It never ends. I swear, it never freaking ends, Ben says to himself. Twenty minutes later, on Yancey Street, we see Miss Marvel fighting with another Avenger by the name of Silverclaw. Miss Marvel is going after Silverclaw because Silverclaw doesn't want to register with the government. I guess she doesn't want anyone to know her secret identity. Of course, nobody knows her superhero identity either, so what's the difference? Who is this chick? But I do know who Miss Marvel is. Should I be rooting for her? I'm so confused. Ben Grimm shows up, and Miss Marvel's happy to see him. She asks for his help, but Ben says nothing. He just keeps on walking by. He goes over and joins the police and asks him what's going on. One of the cops tells Ben that whenever the cops try to arrest some non-registered hero, a group of protesters get all riled up. He goes on to say, This situation is bad enough without protesters getting in the way. If they can't be bothered to respect the government, then it ain't that, Ben says. Look, just because somebody doesn't agree with how something's being done, that doesn't make them any less a patriot than anybody else. If they got a beef, maybe you should at least listen to them. Team Cap? Team Iron Man? Sounds like Ben Grimm is on Team Kaepernick. Ten years too early. That's a nice speech by Ben, by the way, which I agree with 100%. This country was created by protesters in 1776. There's nothing more American and patriotic than a good old protest. But of course... I neglected to mention that in this case, the protesters are throwing bricks and pipes at the cops, which hardly merits the kind words from Mr. Grimm. The cops suggest that Ben go talk to the protesters before they go in and start busting some heads. Ben reluctantly agrees, walking away saying, Kill me. Kill me now. And this is followed by an oddly placed splash page of the thing walking down an alley with a cat at his foot, and Ben is saying, Every time I get out, they pull me back in. It's a strange choice to turn that moment into a splash page. So he gets to the protesters, rams his hands into the street, yelling out, What the Sam Hill is wrong with you people? The protesters come out of hiding, and one of them says, What's up? Thought you'd be happy we're taking on the fascist. Okay, so far, we're only halfway through the first issue of the Fantastic Four's crossover with Civil War. But I'm already starting to detect that J. Michael Straczynski is himself 
on Team Cap. I've read enough crossovers in my day, and I can usually tell when a writer is gung-ho about a certain crossover, or when a writer is like, oh, jeez, I don't want to do this. For example, Brian Michael Bendis always seems happy as a pig and shit to be taking part in some big crossover event. John Byrne, on the other hand, is always like, oh, jeez, please kill me. And I go back to that full-page panel of Ben Grimm saying, Every time I get out, they pull me back in. Perhaps they've placed such an emphasis on that moment because that's how Straczynski feels about being dragged into Civil War. Ah, oh, every time I get out, they pull me back in. Now, I don't normally do any research on this podcast. I just read the comic and give my thoughts. And, uh, but I am curious about this. So I just did some Googling and I found an interview with Straczynski from July 2012 on a website called Collider. When asked about crossovers, he had this to say. Yeah, I'm all for crossovers if they benefit the individual books. But it was feeling more and more like the individual characters were being bent toward the event in ways I didn't think were appropriate. I mean, to make Reed Richards a bad guy in Civil War... I just never bought into that. And that Captain America would surrender to a mob, I never bought into that either. The more you have characters doing things that they wouldn't do because you want it for an event, I just had an increasingly hard time with that. So that kind of confirms what I was thinking. He's one of those, I just want to be left alone and not do any crossover kind of writers, and I respect that. And he's probably in the biggest pickle that any comic book writer has ever been forced into in a crossover. Because not only does he have to take part in lame-o civil war, this crossover di dictates that his main character, Reed Richards, who has always been portrayed as a thoughtful, moral, uh, a man of character, must now be portrayed as an idiot, a reactionary, a fascist, as the bad guy. It'll be fascinating to see how he handles this. My guess is that he's going to focus mostly on Ben Grimm and not do too much with Reed. I've never read these issues before, so that's just a guess. This also explains why Straczynski will be gone before Civil War is even over. So back to the story where Ben is calm calmly chatting with those protesters, all a bunch of young men, and when he asks what side he agrees with, pro-registration, I don't know that they're wrong, he says. Or anti-registration, I'm not saying that they're wrong either. He says he has to think about it. The main protester says that Ben can't be Switzerland, he's got to take a side. Ben says he'll think about it. Meanwhile, we see the puppet master exchanging some information about a police van carrying some superhero prisoners. I don't know who he's talking to. Maybe he's a member of the protester group that Ben was just working with or talking to. I don't know who he is. But it seems like they're planning to attack the police van. The puppet master goes back to see the other bad guy he's working with, the mad thinker, who says, this is the perfect opportunity to eliminate the competition and put the blame on somebody else. And back in Oklahoma, a bus is parked out in the middle of nowhere and a group of young men are waiting for their turn to pick up the hammer of Thor. Or at least a try. But some guy comes over, blonde hair, not long blonde hair, and wearing a hat that puts shadows over his face, so we don't know who it is. 
but he breaks in line, and when the guys try to stop him, he punches one of them, he reaches down, he touches the hammer, and zap! There's this huge blast of bright light that shoots up into the sky, and the blonde man and the hammer are gone. The only thing left, a piece of clothing with the initials on it, D.B. You know what? I think that may have been David Bowie. Okay, it probably was Donald Blake. But David Bowie, that would have been a lot cooler. And that is the end of the issue. The Hammer of Thor subplot seems so kind of weird. Like, what does it have to do with Civil War or the Fantastic Four? So that's the end of the issue. And that brings us back to Civil War. Hi, welcome to episode 538, part 2 of the Fantastic Forecast. Today... It's Civil War number three from September 2006. It's Civil War Part Three by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. So Peter Parker has just made a huge mistake. Huge. He's revealed to the world that he is Spider-Man. Tony Stark has egged him on, and he says, Soak it up, Peter. You're bigger than Elvis now. Well, that's encouraging, considering how well things turned out for Elvis. Meanwhile, in Wakanda, Reed Richards is meeting with Black Panther, who seems surprised that Spider-Man was forced to unmask on television. Reed says, No, Parker unmasked voluntarily. But wait a second, Reed. Doesn't the Registration Act force superheroes to reveal their identities they don't necessarily have to do it on live television but either way if spider-man was going to comply with that stupid law his secret identity would have to be out there black panther still doesn't sound happy with the registration act he asks reed how johnny's doing and reed replies that he hasn't checked in on johnny in a day or two but he's sure that johnny's fine once again reed acting totally out of character Johnny is in some kind of coma, for crying out loud, in the hospital. Of course, Reed would be checking up constantly. You know, in reality. As much as, you know, it's a comic book, so it's not reality, but you know what I mean. He tries to change the subject by talking about the biosystem of Wakanda, but Black Panther doesn't want to engage in chit-chat. He tells Reed he better call Susan. We see a couple of newspaper headlines, one saying that Captain America's Secret Avengers have foiled the Sinister Six, and another saying that Tony Stark promises to deal with the Super Rebels. And at Doctor Strange's house in Greenwich Village, Yellow Jacket stops by looking for the good doctor, but his manservant, Wong, informs him that the doctor has gone into seclusion at his Arctic Lodge. Let me get this straight. In addition to having the cool-ass Sanctum Sanctorum, Doctor Strange also has a Fortress of Solitude? Oh, could he be any cooler? So up at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, Tony Stark is having lemonade with Emma Frost, and he mentions an old arrangement he and Emma used to have. I'm guessing the arrangement was of a sexual nature. So basically, Iron Man used to bone one of the X-Men's worst villains. She tells him that the X-Men will not be helping him hunt down any anti-registration rebels. You would think that she would be an anti-registration rebel, but she seems to have an agreement with the government they don't join forces with Captain America, and in return, they get left alone. 
But on the way out, Tony says to his driver, Happy Gilmore, or whatever his name is. I don't think it's Gilmore. He says to Happy that he wants the X-Men neutralized before he goes public with his 50-state initiative. The X-Men bishop interrupts, saying, Iron Man, can we talk? Next, we see four anti-registration superheroes meeting in a diner while in disguise. Captain America is posing as Brett Hedrick, a mall cop. Hercules is Victor Tegler, an IT consultant. That's a stretch. Daredevil is Cooper Payton, an engineer. And Goliath is Rockwell Dodsworthy, a community outreach worker. They're very good disguises, by the way. Captain America has a fake mustache, and the other three are wearing eyeglasses. Eyeglasses, the perfect disguise for any superhero. They express surprise that Tony got Spider-Man to unmask on live television. Captain America remembers a baseball game he was supposed to go to for a sick kid for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And the fact that he can't go is really pissing him off. I think he was really looking forward to kicking that sick kid's ass in baseball. So they hear about a fire at a petrochemical plant, and they rush off to help people who are trapped inside. Back at the hospital, Johnny finally wakes up. He wanders out into the hall and asks if anyone there has seen his sister. No one is quick-witted enough to reply with some joke about her being invisible. Back at the, chemi- back at the chemical plant, Captain America and the others can't seem to find anyone trapped inside. And when Cap sees a sign that says that the plant is a division of Stark Industries, Cap realizes that they're the ones that have been trapped. Iron Man arrives with Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Yellow Jacket, Mr. Fantastic, and the Thing. I guess Ben thought about it and decided to join the bad guys. First, they shoot the guys with teleportation powers, Cloak from Cloak and Dagger, and Wiccan from the Young Avengers. And then we see more people on Iron Man's side, including Spider-Man, Wonder Man, Radioactive Man, not the one from The Simpsons, and Sue Richards. Once again, over in the FF, Sue seems conflicted about the entire thing, but here she is on Team Iron Man. Ouch. Poor J. Michael Straczynski. They've turned the entire FF into bad guys. So Iron Man and Captain America face off, and they approach each other. Iron Man asks Cap to surrender, and he replies that he'd rather not. Iron Man asks Cap to give him five minutes to explain his plans. Cap says, okay, and he reaches out to shake Tony's hand. Tony immediately realizes that Cap has put a small device on Tony's hand, an uh, electron scrambler that messes with Iron Man's armor. Cap takes the opportunity to smack Iron Man with a shield, and all hell breaks loose as the heroes start battling with each other. Even the Thing gets in on the act. He punches the Hulkling in the face. Now that really is turning on his own kind. Spider-Man, back in the spider armor provided by Stark, is fighting with Captain America. And Iron Man's armor finally reboots and he gets back up on his feet. And he starts trading blows with Captain America. And then, amid all the chaos, thunder strikes, lightning strikes, everyone looks up, and standing there is Thor. I guess the Hammer of Thor stuff over in the Fantastic Four was setting up the return of Thor. I don't know. Where was he? I'm not up on my early 21st century Thor. Oh, and that is the end of the issue. That's the cliffhanger. Thor is back. And what side is he on? You gotta think he'd be on Cap's side, right? Because there ain't no way Thor is working for the US government. It's been so long since I've read this, I forgot Thor was in it. I was kind of thinking it was like the movie, 
where they got rid of Thor and Hulk because they'd be too powerful to have on either side. Hi, welcome to episode 538, part 3 of the Fantastic Forecast. Today is Civil War number 4 from October 2006. It's Civil War part 4 by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. And Thor is back, shooting lightning all over the place. Everyone is surprised to see him. And they're even more surprised when he starts tossing his hammer around, attacking the anti-registration heroes. Back with Captain America and Iron Man, Tony tells Cap to stop, but Cap replies, You really think I'm going down? To some pampered punk like you? Wow. Cap is finally letting his true feelings show. You know, for a guy who grew up in the Great Depression, as Steve Rogers did, Tony Stark must be a little hard for him to take. Iron Man turns this audio thing on, creating a loud noise that knocks Cap down on his ass. Hercules starts causing more trouble, tossing some kind of chemical tank at Iron Man, and it lands with a big explosion and a fireball. Falcon swoops in and picks up his best buddy, Captain America, and Goliath turns to face off against Thor, and Thor zaps him with lightning, and Goliath falls over dead. Oh no! They killed Goliath! said absolutely nobody reading this book in 2006. Falcon says to the team that they should all fall back and regroup. But Thor ain't, ha ain't having none of that. He says, You are all going down. That doesn't sound like something Thor would say. Now, he's out of character. Now that I think about it, wasn't this Thor a clone? Once again, let me stop and do a little research. And this, this Thor is a clone. I'm not sure if he's uh, if this is revealed during Civil War or not, or later. I guess we'll see. But before Thor can kill them all, he wants to kill everybody. Sue puts up a force field to protect them, and she says, Get out of here! Now! So Falcon thanks Sue, and Cloak, now awake, gathers everybody up in his cloak, and the anti-registration folks teleport away. Reed approaches Thor and says, Shut down code. Richard Wagner. 1813 to 1888. Ah, so there, there was no reason for me to stop and Google that. Two pages later, we learn that this Thor is fake, and apparently under the control of Reed Richards. As you can imagine, Sue is not happy. Don't even speak to me. Don't say a damn word, she says. Spider-Man looks over at Goliath's big dead body and says, I thought you knew what you were doing, Tony. And later... Everyone is recuperating back at Avengers Tower. By the way, I never liked Avengers Tower. Aren't they kind of stealing Fantastic Four's thunder by giving them a skyscraper headquarters too? And making it even bigger? Did New York need two superhero skyscrapers? I don't think so. The mansion was always cooler anyway. So the members of the team, members of Team Iron Man, are a bit freaked out. Hank Pym was close friends with Goliath. Peter Parker says that this wasn't what he exactly what he signed up for. Yeah, he didn't sign up for getting superheroes killed. He signed up for getting his family members killed. He asked Hank if he thinks they picked the right side. Meanwhile, at the secret headquarters of the Secret Avengers, a doctor is working on Captain America, who looks to be in very bad shape. But when some heroes suggest they surrender and ask for amnesty, 
Cap shoots down the idea, saying that more and more people are leaving Tony's side and joining them. Cable points out that with Thor on Team Iron Man, they're kind of screwed. But Cap realizes that this Thor must be a fake. I'm surprised he doesn't mistakenly think that Reed Richards or that Spider-Man are fakes too. In the end, a couple of heroes, Nighthawk and Cassie, Scott Lang's daughter, who spent a lot of time in the pages of the FF in the early 90s, now a member of the Young Avengers, they decide to leave the group. And later, they're having a big funeral for Goliath. And by big, I mean they've dug a gigantic grave for a dead man. Can't Hank Pym shrink him down so they can bury him like a normal human being? That's just ridiculous. Happy and Tony are standing there, with Happy saying it's a hell of a send-off, and it's a shame they couldn't shrink him down. Why? Why can't Hank Pym shrink him down? That dude can shrink down anything, except dead people? That doesn't. That sounds odd. Sounds more like McNiven drew them burying Goliath in a giant grave, and that forced Mark Millar to add dialogue in later to explain that fact. Actually, that's probably not true. Mark Millar is pretty terrible sometimes, so having them bury Goliath in a giant grave was probably his idea. And then that woman from issue one shows up again, the one who blamed Tony Stark for her son's death in Connecticut. And this time, she's friendly to Tony and thanks him for what he's doing and says that Goliath is responsible for his own death for fighting the Registration Act, comparing him to a guy who gets shot for pulling a gun on a cop. Which, of course, is a terrible comparison. Goliath is more like the guy who gets caught selling cigarettes on a street corner and gets gang-tackled by a bunch of cops and choked to death. That's what he's like. By the way, how can this woman just walk up to Tony Stark? Doesn't he have security? What's to stop anyone from coming by and just shooting him? Also, at the funeral, a couple of heroes on Team Iron Man notice Peter Parker, and they think he's acting suspiciously. And finally, back at the Baxter building, Johnny's home from the hospital, playing games with the kids, and we see a quiet dinner with Reed and Sue. And we get a note from Sue, written to Reed, saying that she and Johnny are leaving to join the Secret Avengers, and she places the note on Reed's nightstand while he sleeps. And Sue and Johnny head off together, and Ben is staying behind, looking out the window and looking very sad. And back at Avengers Tower, Team Iron Man has been losing people, so they need to add more, and they're adding a group, the new Thunderbolts. They open a door, and standing there are bad guys like Venom, Bullseye, Lady Deathstrike, and Jack-O-Lantern, and a few more I can't recognize. Bum, bum, bum. Man, Team Iron Man is looking really bad now. And that is the end of issue four, and the end of this episode. Coming next time, Fantastic Four, 539, and uh, that's it. That's all. It's going to be good to do a short episode again. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff. And you can download other episodes at iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. <laughs>